Yo, yo, yo. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the LTK Show. My name is Luther Kangas, and I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Eric Angsted. Hey, on today's show, we have a great guest with a pretty insane story. His name is John Creasel. John was serving in the military in 2006 when the vehicle he was riding in exploded from an IED blast, causing him to lose both of his legs. And he's here to share that story today. And we're super grateful that he was able to take the time to be on the show. Thanks, Chris. Um, and before we get into it, I want to take the time to announce our first sponsor of the show. We're sponsored, which is phenomenal, uh, by the JP4 Foundation. The JP4 Foundation uses the game of baseball to provide healthy meals, healthy activities, and healthy relationships for youth in the Twin Cities. You can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta using the handle JP4 Foundation or by visiting them at jp4foundation.org. Check them out. All right, without further ado, it's time to get into it. Let's roll with John Creasel. Today on the LTK show, we got a guy who's done more probably in his lifetime of 38 or nine years than most people could do in a dozen lifetimes. Uh, Here are some current and past accolades. However, there are many more. Uh, He is a father, he's a staff sergeant in the United States Army, Purple Heart Combat Infantryman Badge and Bronze Star recipient, Director of Veteran Services in Oka County, autobiographical author of an incredible book called Still Standing, which has won several awards, motivational keynote speaker, politician who was instrumental in getting the new Viking Stadium, and a massive Vikings and Minnesota sports fan, and I know there are other things, but we're going to leave it there. Mr. John Creasel. Thanks What's for being up? on, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good to catch up. Yeah, heck of an intro. Love it. All right, we're going to do a little warm-up here, and uh, just nice, easy questions to get things loosened up, and Eric's going to kick us off here. All right, Crease. best military branch excluding the Army and why? Uh, Marines, I served with them in Iraq. We were attached directly under the Marines, and they were awesome. So, I mean, they um, – you just ask any Marine and they'll tell you they're awesome, but uh, <laughs> it, it was a it was an honor serving with them. So obviously every branch is awesome, but Marines are, uh, they're near and dear to my heart. Nice. Number two, so I've already asked this one. It's a Vikings related question. Um, I asked it to Eric and it took him 25 seconds to do it. So you got to beat it. You got to be under 25 here. All right. So we'll start the clock after I finish the question. So can you name 10 Vikings quarterbacks in our lifetime in less than 25 seconds? Go. All right. Kirk Cousins, uh, Dante Culpepper, Gus Farratt, uh, Tommy Kramer, Wade Wilson, Rich Gannon, Warren Moon, Sean Salisbury. Uh, did I say Wade Wilson already? Yes. Um, uh, uh, Randall Cunningham, Brad Johnson. Boom, that's 10. Wow, 18 seconds. <laughs> now I'm embarrassed. That was legend. That was pretty good. Solid. Pretty good. Moving on. Better all-time Vikings wide receiver, Randy Moss or Bernard Berrien? <laughs> Bernard, obviously, man. <laughs> he was getting open, dude. Watch the tape. That's right. Oh, that was funny. That was fun. That was fun. We can, we can touch on that. Later. Sure. Uh, your deal with Bernard Berrien. Uh, that's, that's, actually, let's do that now because I don't know if we'll be able to backtrack. Yeah, do you want to tell the story? 
Sure. So I was uh, having a few beers and watching uh, the Vikings game, and uh, his Bernard Berrien's hands are are like my feet; they're just <laughs> absent. And so, so I just made a joke like I do, and he took a shot. He said, "You know, obviously I've been open the whole time. Watch the tape and sit down and shut up." I wasn't offended by it. I thought it was funny that a Vikings player responded to the criticism. Like, <laughs> if you're on, like, if you're a professional athlete, don't look at your mentions after you have some drops. If it bothers you, you know what I mean? But then people got offended on my behalf, which is everyone in society's favorite pastime is to get uh, offended on every, everyone's behalf because I don't have legs because I was a combat wounded veteran. So they were like, how dare you? It was the top story on like NFL.com. Yeah, it made ESPN. Uh, even, yeah, I yeah. Think. And I was like, this is blown way out of proportion. I'm not offended. So then I had to clear it up. Well, Lester Bagley from the Vikings. This was during the stadium push. So I was a sitting state representative. And uh, Lester Bagley from the Vikings contacted me and said, all right, we're going to issue a statement to say we told John and Bernard to cool it or whatever. And I said, you can say that about Bernard. He's a he's an employee of the Vikings. I don't, I don't work for the Vikings. <laughs> and so, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. And then I got all the interviews. I, uh, I was on Barrero with and then Pat Kessler on WCCO, and it was more of just going, calm down, everybody. This is like, you got to relax a little bit. I made a joke. He said something back. That's fun. Like Everyone needs to chill out. So, yeah, that was uh, kind of a funny deal. They forced a phone call. They forced him to, to apologize to me, so we had a phone call. Oh, he called you, huh? Yeah. Oh, I bet that was about as disingenuous as it oh, gets on both sides and he didn't say sorry which he didn't have to i didn't care but he just right. it was so awkward because i'm like this is dumb i don't care <laughs> like you don't have and and he just basically i'm sure there was someone standing over him like okay say this made the call yeah. <laughs> Awk awkward <laughs> uh that's good stuff man um next one so you're you're pretty big cocktail guy i think you post on twitter a decent amount about some some drinks in. Uh, mm -hmm. What's your current favorite cocktail? Peanut butter old fashioned. Wow, a little peanut it, butter in there. Yeah, huh? it's the uh, screwball whiskey. Screwball whiskey, a uh, little bit of uh, simple syrup, some a few dashes of bitters uh, over ice. Beautiful. Man, Tastes I love awesome. I love a good old fashioned. Might have to try try a little Sounds peanut good. butter in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right, Chris, so for those who don't know, uh, Luther and I went to school with John many years ago now. Unfortunately for us, we're getting old. 20 years already. Isn't that Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so this next question is about North Campus, and it's who had the loudest burps in Me? North Campus in 1996. Was it John Creasel or the field? <laughs> oh, it was me without question. <laughs> I don't know how I had. I bet if I tried now, I couldn't do it. I just had an ability to just open up the old gullet and just suck air in and let her rip. <laughs> and I would do it. And some of the uh, some of the older kids from other lunch tables said, "Chuck." I remember I got hit with the goddamn uh, uh, burger. Someone yeah. threw it, and it came oh, apart, and the meat. Either hit me or it hit Chris Larson, someone at my table, but I got hit by part of it. So I knew that's a dandy if someone's chucking their lunch across the room. Just that. So annoying. to paint a picture for anyone of what we're talking about, we were in a lunchroom the size of probably three basketball gymnasiums, 
and it was hard walls and there was probably at any given time at least 200 people in it and there's a, a solid buzz like similar to maybe the marlin stadium when they're playing a game <laughs> and literally john would burp and it was a showstopper and people even probably 100 yards away could hear it it was unbelievable and the best part is it came from a dude how, how much did you weigh oh what that Oh, not not even. I went to basic training at seventeen. I was a buck forty. So we didn't have any time, idea how no. it came out of you, but every time it was great fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, because I think some of you guys had, had egged me on and be like, "Come on, let her rip." So I'd be like, "All right, hold on." <laughs> Believe and me, then... if I had that talent, I'd have been ripping those too. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, that's awesome. All right, last one. If uh, if you had a pass from your wife. And if so, which celebrity would you use it on? Would I throw the boots to? Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Throw some hip. <laughs> hmm. Let and if, if you don't have a pass, you don't have to say anything. It's all good. Yeah, I don't. Well, she's cool. She don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> nice. Who would it be? My God, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Now, if it was a previous marriage, I'd have about 10 answers for it. <laughs> Because she gave herself a pass. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so we'll pass on that question then. Yeah. It Think would, about uh, it if we get you on yeah. next time. We'll circle back point, on maybe. that one. Yeah. I got it. Right. Th- yeah. Get the wheels spinning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, that wraps up the warm up. We'll get into the uh, into the meat of it. So, um, why don't we just start out with a little bit of your background? All three of us, I think, grew up in a pretty similar area. Did you grow up in Vadnais Heights? Yes. Yep. Okay. Right, right 694 in Edgerton by there used to be that nursery there. Yep, by Jana. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yes. I was on the same bus as Jana. Yeah, I okay. remember I, I popped up. I, I had a huge crush on her in, in uh, elementary school. And I remember I like hid behind a seat. And then when she got on the one time, I popped up. And I was like, here I am. And she's like, she just kind of looked at me like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> You do that in 2020, you're having to register. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, cripes. Um, when do you remember like really getting into Minnesota sports and just kind of letting that be a big part of your life? And I think fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, I started liking it. Uh, my my half brothers were big sports fans. My dad only really liked football. Um. And it just appeared to be so much stress that I was like, I don't know if I want to be involved in that because he'd just <laughs> yeah. sit there dropping F-bombs nonstop. Um, but, it, yeah, towards the end of – I started playing Little Lakes Little League towards the end of uh, elementary school, and then that's when I started liking all sports. But it was Vikings first, yeah, probably like fourth grade, and then it just became an obsession from there. Okay. Nice. Do you remember what team you were? Didn't they assign professional teams? Luther and I played in that. Team. Oh yeah, we were, yeah. We were a little Phillies late. then Mets. Nice. Phillies then Mets. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you have Len Pratt as a coach? I didn't. No, I had. You did? Uh, okay. I had Kirsch's dad. Kirsch's dad. Oh, okay. As the my first year coach for the, I think that was the Phillies. Yeah. Okay. Nice. nice. Um. So you were a bit of a class clown growing up, as we've already kind of talked about. Yeah. Um, which got you into some trouble here and there. Can you tell us a good elementary or middle school story that you remember like that kind of served you right? I think my – and it was all smart-ass related. I, it was nothing like criminal. So that yeah, you part were never of it, a like, bad kid. No, it was more of just I wanted to make people laugh. Even the teachers. I mean, I run into 
I, when my book first came out, I had some of my teachers circle back around and they came to some of the events. And it was funny because they clearly were just kind of like, you're such a knucklehead. And now kind of where they're like, you turned out pretty well. But uh, I think one of my favorites was I would always go late to this was at North Campus. There was the circles. And I would I would just casually for was it Mr. Mavison that was the shop teacher? And Sounds right. He, yep. And he, I would just he didn't care if you were late to class, so I would just take my sweet time going there. Well, there was a a newer teacher to that school that her classroom was just before the shop class. So when I would walk by there, she'd always be out there and be like you don't care. You need to be to your class on time or whatever. And my thought was like, mind your own business. I'm not late to your class. Uh So then she finally, after a few days of it, asked my name. Well, this was shortly after the Indianapolis Colts had been in the AFC title game. They didn't win, but there was a, a backup running back named Zach Crockett who had just dominated that game. And so she was like, what's your name? So I said, Zach Crockett. <laughs> well, she must have wrote it down because then the next day or a few days later, oh, no. she was like, hey, I looked up. There's no Zach Crockett going to school here. I said, I'm new. And she said, where'd you come here from? I said, Indianapolis. Oh, and then that got me another day of her leaving me alone. Well, then the last time she was pissed. She was like, that's it. I looked everything up. Nope. There's no Zach Crockett. So she gave me detention, but it was detention in her classroom. And so uh, in my mind, I was like, maybe this is going to turn out to be one of those greasy videos I like. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so then, no, it was just the teacher. Deten- so I didn't go. I had other shit to do. And so she then, then it went to like in-school suspension. And if you don't go to in-school suspension, then you get Monday off. And my parents were very laid back, so it didn't matter. But that was one of my one of my favorite ones. There's when I was cleaning out my storage room downstairs, I found a stack of my old referrals from <laughs> from, and there are some doozies in there. Like in computer class, when computers were a novelty, remember? Like we had those Apple Control Open Apple Reset, baby. Y- yes, and you you could do where you could record stuff and do like very janky animations. And I, I'd cuss into the computer and then play it, but it's in my voice. So what a dumbass! Like, I can't play that off. Who's swearing? Oh, it's not me. Oh, but my computer's swearing and it's in my voice. My God. Yeah. My daughter better not try any of this shit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff. So when did you realize like, were you a kid when you realized that you wanted to be in the military? Yes. Yep. When I the first Gulf War was on TV, and it was basically CNN around the clock was it was just over there watching us just dominate. Yeah. That I just I was aroused by it. I said if I can do that when I grow up, I'm in. And it turned out being the best decision I ever made because whereas my parents, God bless them, they try their best. They're good people. Uh, they just weren't equipped. My dad had a terrible upbringing. My mom had a terrible upbringing. And their entire goal was to just make my life and my sister's life better than theirs. So they just wanted us to be happy. So they're like, you do whatever you want, you know, within reason. But mm-hmm. when it came to goofing off at school, yeah. that didn't matter. So the military was really 
that the kick in the ass that I needed. It taught me, you know, respect, hard work, teamwork, all of the things. I think that set me up for success later in life. Okay. Okay. Um, so then heading into high school, when did you like start to give serious thought into like either being in the army or, you know, kind of taking that route Were you recruited or was it, did you recruit yourself? I recruited myself. I was the easiest recruit they ever had. They didn't have to do anything. I went to, I went to all of the branches when I was 16. So I could take my time and look and see which one I, I wanted to join. So I went to Marines. I went to air force, Navy, army. Okay. And I, I liked the army the most. But I thought it, it, to join the army, I would have had to wait till eighteen to really do anything. Mm-hmm. But joining the National Guard, I could join right when I was seventeen, as long as my parents signed for me. And then okay. if I loved it, you can then kind of move up to to uh, active duty. Whereas if you join active duty and you want to be part time, you got to wait till your contract's up. So it's a good way to kind of figure it out and see if it was something I wanted to do. So I joined on my seventeenth birthday. I spent it down at. Uh, at MEPS, the processing station in Minneapolis. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think you, you talk about that in your book. Mm-hmm. So then take us through, like, your decision to actually enroll or, like, actually sign up, not only from the National Guard but then into the Army. How, how did that like, so, transition work? So I, because of the short time frame between when I joined and then when shit hit the fan with 9-11 – um, I didn't even need to sign up for active duty. So I, I enlisted the National Guard on my 17th birthday and then yep. basic training between junior and senior year in high school and then was much better behaved senior year. As a senior? Um, yes. And then I had to go back then after uh, senior year to go uh, go back down to Fort Benning to complete my infantry school. So then at the end of the summer of 2000, that's when I was fully trained. The summer after that, then I had to do an additional job training to learn Bradley fighting. We won't get deep in the weeds with that. But um, And then 9-11 happens. So then I knew we were getting deployed. I didn't think it was going to be Kosovo at first. I thought, for sure, we're going to Iraq. But we were called up in 2003 to start our train up. We went to uh, uh, Camp Monteith, Kosovo in early 2004 but there was a train up in in uh, fort stewart georgia between then we did one month in germany and then basically that just was a quick year and then all of a sudden boom it's 2004 was going to get out of the military and then i had heard that there was an iraq deployment so i thought okay that's what i want to do and there's no way that i'm going to sit this one out when, when a bunch of my friends are going to go i'd feel awful so i, mm-hmm. I re-enlisted and then since we hadn't been back from Kosovo long enough, we had to sign a waiver to volunteer to go to Iraq. So if I'd okay. re-enlisted and decided I didn't want to go to Iraq, I wouldn't have had to. I would have just stayed back here because they have to give you a certain amount of time between deployments to to be at home, be with your family and all that. But I, I was single, single guy, so I thought, what the hell? Yeah. So and By the way, sorry to yeah, cut go you ahead. off, Luke. The part of your story where you're talking about in uh, – in training the birth control specials the glasses oh god i almost puked from laughing yeah before we get too deep into the i guess into the war stuff i'd like to hear some more basic training stories i.e that one that's a freaking awesome sure. line <laughs> and then uh 
there was, I think, a towel story where you go to, like, salute, and then your towel drops off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so touch that was on a couple the, of those. The um, I was, like, outgoing in high school, as you remember, but I wasn't – like, I didn't play any high school sports or anything, so I wasn't around the locker room stuff and all of that. So the military kind of introduced me to that. That's when I okay. really, really came out of my shell. Um, so at basic training, you wear – if you have glasses, you have to wear birth control glasses, or we can swear on this podcast, <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming. Or they're called, like, catch-me-fuck-me glasses, or, or yeah, because they, it doesn't matter if Brad Pitt wore them. He'd be unbangable if he wore They're just hideous. On top of that, I've never looked good with short hair. And at that time, I just was kind of a goofy-looking guy. Like, I needed hair to to look good. And I had the big Adam's apple, and I'd stand there, and I'd kind of have my mouth open. So there was a uh, – you got your two drill sergeants for the platoon, and then they would have a cadet that's going to be an officer that's going to West Point. They're, they're like on-the-job training kind of thing. As they, they go to basic training, they help with that just to basically see the very, very start of a military career. And then it gives you a good perspective for your career. And uh, the guy we had was Cadet Reese. He was a fullback on the West Point team. And he wasn't much older than me. So he could relate to us more than the drill sergeants could, but he still had to be an asshole. So he'd sit there and he's like, can I give you some advice? He's like, close your fucking mouth. He's like, when you're standing there, he's like, I know you probably got a lot of shit going through your mind because this is scary for everybody. He's like, but if you keep your mouth open like like that, someone's gonna walk by and put something in it. You know, I'm like, uh, got it, like got right it. So it made me movie. think, that's like, awesome. and you just gotta train yourself to be because you're scared shitless. We're 17 years old, not 18, not 19. Um, hadn't even graduated basic training yet. But the drill sergeant, so you don't have a name at first. You're just a roster number. I was 136, and the drill sergeant at first I was just 136. But then they said that I looked like Ichabod Crane, which isn't a compliment. <laughs> And they'd call, but they could see that I was a goofball and they, they liked me. So they'd call me up. They'd be talking to other drill sergeants. They'd be like, Ichabod, get the fuck over here. And I'd run over there. Yes, drill sergeant. And they'd ask the other drill sergeant, isn't this the ugliest motherfucker you've ever seen? And they're like, God damn. They're like, your mom missed you with the coat hanger. Like mean shit. And so, oh and so I'm like, oh, my God. So I, it, oh. I went back to senior year, not with a hell of a lot of confidence. But um, they knocked you down. Oh, that's oh good. they do because they they knock everybody down, then they build you up, and then yeah. you're confident. You learn, but they got to break you down first. Otherwise, mm -hmm. people go there with egos, and then you know they promoted me to squad leader. I was the only one that never got fired. I lasted to the very end, like really? to graduation. So. They, and they told me like afterwards when they can be nice to you after you graduate, they're like, no, we saw you squared away. And that's why we gave you responsibility. That's why we fucked with you because we know you could handle it. So, okay. Um, yeah. So there was mm -hmm. that. And then the, when I went back for the second for infantry school, which is basically like basic training again, there was a yeah. time where anytime the drill sergeant walks in the room, you have to yell at ease and you have to stand with your arms like in the smaller your back, like, and lock it up and look forward. Don't move your head. And then he'll say, carry on when it's fine. Okay. Or if someone messed up, he's walking around and you're standing there. And he's like, all right, who fucking did this or whatever. Um, and I just got out of the shower. And so someone at ease 
and I'm standing there, um, and I think it might have been mail call. It actually might have been mail call, but we had to toe the line. So we're standing there still at parade rest, and I've got my towel on. Well, my towel drops, so I'm standing there. That was my bit in the Army was to uh, to to kind of break the ice uh-huh. as I'd like – I. I Pull pull my balls out or just stupid <laughs> shit that uh, that I would never do nowadays, obviously. But in the army, it's funny in that locker room type environment. Well, the drill sergeant's like, "What the fuck is going on with you?" And this is you know second year, so it's different drill sergeants or whatever. And uh, my buddy's laughing, and he's like, "Oh, you think it's funny? That's all right." And made made me crawl up there to like get the mail. I think that's how the story went. I kept a journal, and we transcribed that kind of into the book. Uh-huh. So I might be missing a couple parts, but that was kind of it. And then there was another time, and I don't think this one made the book, when we had to spend two weeks in the field at basic training for our, like, final test. I had uh, – I got poison ivy on my ass cheek. And I was <laughs> – there was a mirror right by the front, and I was up there, and I was putting cream on there. Drill sergeant walks in, so I got to be the one to yell at ease. And he looks at me, he goes, you got to be dry fucking me here. And so he looked at me and he's like, what are you doing? And I, I poison ivy on my, on my ass. And he goes, that's it. He goes, I think I'm going to have to see which one of you has poison ivy on their dick. <laughs> so, yeah, they just, uh, I swear that they must go through comedy school well, to become a drill sergeant. They are so. They're quick, huh? So quick. So funny. I, oh my God, it, it is. And you can't laugh. You're not allowed to laugh. Oh, or then yeah, that's, you're that's in tough. trouble then. So, uh, yeah. good, you talk a little good bit times. in your book too about making your buddy laugh. Yes. And, uh, I think you said you were pretty sure he hated you at one point. Oh, yeah. Goose. The story that you told about the. I think it was after the towel incident. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought it was, wasn't it the dirt ball who slept oh. by you? Like yes. And I could just picture the smell when I was reading it. Yes. By the way, his book's called Still Standing, and we'll talk about it again, but please, please read this book. Super entertaining, super articulated, just an incredible story and well-written. Thank you. So back, sorry, yeah, yeah, you bet. So that guy. Yeah, that guy who stunk, tell that story. He, and he didn't try, and that pissed me off always, is if you're there, you better try because there's other people depending on you, and that goes for, there's a reason they have it set up that way is because you eventually end up in a combat situation. You can't half-ass anything or people will die. And so little stuff on these road marches, he wouldn't try. So he'd be the guy in front of you and you have to keep a certain pace and he'd slow down and you're not allowed to run to catch up because then the guy behind you has to run. And then the guy behind him has to run and it screws everything up. So he, and I would be because of last name, he was K-R-A. I was K-R-I. So I was right next to him. Okay. And he was just late, so he'd drift way back. And then he'd run to catch up. So I'd be fired up. And this would be like 12-mile road march, 40 pounds on your back in the heat like we have today. I mean, heat index of around 100 every day. So I'd get mad, and I'd I'd be reaching out and grabbing rocks, throwing it at him. You fat fuck. You know, like just swearing. And then other guys are like, cut it out. We're all going to get in trouble. And I'm like just pissed because I'm like, I'm taking the brunt of this. Well, anyway... On top of that, he never showered. One of the greatest things after training is taking a shower. Yeah, I bet. Degreasing. And this guy just reeked. I'd smell him in my bed. Well, 
he liked to sleep on top of his bed because then he wouldn't have to make his bed every day. But then he stunk. Well, it had all this hair on there. So I took, I took some duct tape and I touched it on his bed. And it honestly looked like if Chewbacca went to L.A. Wax. I mean, it's just awful. And I'm like, look at this, you nasty fuck. And he's like, well, it's none of your business. None of your... So then what everyone did, and I don't know if I articulated it perfectly in the book. Um, so everyone basically ripped out pubes and put them in his pillowcase. And so his pillowcase looked like a Chia pet. And 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 oh, and they put a bunch on his bed too. And well, then someone turned on the fan, and just hair went everywhere, including my bed. So we're like, that wasn't very fucking well thought out. Yeah, so there are millions of those stories, and it was yeah. And especially you get a bunch of kids like that, and you got people from all different backgrounds. People who ended up going to school to be lawyers and then you got other people who ended up in jail so you got like all full wide spectrum of uh of society in that in that one room sure yeah so speaking of like the different types of guys um before we get into like the war stuff uh tell us about like the bond that you guys formed just like within basic training you just in a at that age that is the that you think that that is like the toughest shit you are ever going to go through in your entire life. Right. Yeah. Um, I wish it was, but, uh, uh-huh. and you just, you all go through and it's a common bond, you know, like a football team, like a football team or a baseball team. You're just, it's one common goal, one common mission. You get close with everyone you have. It doesn't matter where your, your background is. You have that one thing that brings you all together. And, and so in the military probably emphasize a little bit more, um, you got. We had a handful of dudes from Minnesota, from all around, and to the to this date, I, I hang out with a lot of those guys from basic training. They ended up yeah. they ended up switching to be in the same unit I was in, so we all went to Kosovo together, and some went to Iraq and and whatnot. So it is just an un, undescribable bond at that point. And then as we get into the war stuff, that is multiplied by a million. Then. Yeah, I suppose. Um, so, into the war stuff. So, in 2003, was it that same unit or that same basic training bunch of guys that ended up going off to Kosovo? Um, a handful of them because when when you go to basic training, that's just everyone from around the country. So, you go there. Now, our group was similar. We had a lot of the same guys at basic training between junior and senior year and then at infantry school the summer after that because – we did the split option program. And so not a lot, there's not many of them that do that. That's, that's kind of a small group that does that. Okay. So we saw a lot of them the second year, but there was guys from Massachusetts, California, Texas, um, all around Minnesota, Illinois. And, um, so we all go back then to your, you all go back to your regular units. And so my unit was at the East St. Paul armory. And so there was two or three of us, in that there was a couple in, or there was one in Stillwater. Then he transferred over to our unit to go to Kosovo with us. Um, so yeah. Okay. And then, so talk about that, that assignment in Kosovo. What, what did you take from that? What, what were you guys doing over there? That first one. So we did peacekeeping. So we would go out on four to five hour patrols and make sure that the population was getting along. It was pretty simple. There was really no 
fear that we we're going to lose our lives. Mm-hmm. There was the the biggest thing that happened. There were some riots that around St. Patty's Day, two thousand and four, and that got a little hairy. They're throwing it. We didn't. They didn't throw Molotov cocktails at us because then we would have had the clearance to open fire, and they know that. So they know okay. they know how far they to push it. And out yeah, armor. so right, we right. we tear gassed the piss out of them, and that kind of uh, that got them tame a little bit. You know, uh-huh. we roughed them up a little bit too um, when they needed it, when they deserved it. You know, if they're shoving us or they're threatening us, you know, then then you have to use a, a level up of, of mm-hmm. force, sort of dominance. Yes, yep, to yeah. get it back under control, and we did. And then the rest of the deployment was pretty simple. You know, we'd meet with town leaders and and find out what their concerns were, and make sure because it's a group of people that have hated each other for longer than the United States has even been around. So these are this is deeply rooted hate based on religion. The 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 uh, right. Orthodox Christian Serbs and the Albanian Muslims. They just they don't get along. And so Yeah, I remember you saying that's just like kind of a concoction of different yeah. religions that hate each other and that's what causes all that violence and Right. So we keep right? the peace and we would go out, we would make our presence seen and then we would go back to our base at night. So we had it simple like that. We had high-speed internet. We had nice gym. We had movie theater. Um, and that's where I, I think I saw the movie Mean Girls for the first time. Um, uh, so it, as far as as far as deployments go, that was a pretty awesome one. Yeah? Yes. Okay. So you do that one, and then you come back home for a little bit, right? Yes. Yeah. I, and you're not really sure about like your next move. Some things happen, and then you get kind of sucked back into the army is that correct yes i got kind of stuck in like a plateau of my career uh you have to promotion points is what gets you promoted to sergeant and some of Mm -hmm. that's on rate and i didn't have i wasn't going to college at that point college uh college credits give you promotion points so that was i was at a huge disadvantage then so really the only thing i could do is get a high uh physical fitness score and i always did with that i'd crush that but the other stuff it, it, it was tough. So there was a lot of people, you know, my friends had been going to college and so they were getting promoted and I wasn't. So I just thought, well, maybe it's time to, to move on, use my GI bill then to, to go to college. And then I heard about the deployment to Iraq. My buddy called me that I'd been in Kosovo with and he worked for brigade headquarters. He said, you, you really can't get out, right? I know you love the military and I, I do, and I, uh, I did, and I still do to this day. So he explained what I would need to do. I'd need to re-enlist, and then I'd need to sign the waiver uh, to, to volunteer to go to Iraq. So I, I decided, yes, I would do that. A bunch of my buddies that I was in Kosovo with, we looked at each other and said, I will go if you go. And so yeah. we all went down there together and signed that, signed that waiver. Okay. Pretty badass. It, it was awesome. Yeah, that's sweet. Okay, so... <clears throat> Next step is as you, I guess, re-sign up. Now you get you get put together with with a group called Bravo Company. Mm-hmm. Am I getting that right? Yes. And then you guys get stationed in Camp Fallujah. Is that how you say Fallujah. it? Fallujah. Fallujah. Sorry, yep. Camp Fallujah, Iraq. Um, so if we fast forward to that, what was your assignment there? So um, the Bravo Company situation was. To back up a tiny bit, when yeah. they activated, and I'm sure it was big news because that was like the largest deployment from the Minnesota National Guard, I think, in since World War II. 
it was massive. They had like over 3,000 of Minnesota National Guard members. So basically, most people in the state had a neighbor or a friend or a coworker that was going to be on this deployment. So to be on this deployment, they, they had to move around so many people to make sure every unit was at good strength and they kind of did a reorganization. So our we would be better equipped and more of a agile mobile fighting force for this deployment. So the East St. Paul unit I was in, they moved some to a, a, a unit in Bemidji, and there was a few of us then that went to that Bravo company, which is Thief River Falls in Crookston. But the reason okay. that I got up there was there they had an opening to be a sergeant. So in 2005, I went to school. I went did the two week school to become uh, a sergeant, and ended up on the commandant's list. So I was in the top 10 percent of the of the graduating class. Was set up well to be a sergeant, but there needs to be an opening. You know, you could get a degree, but unless there's a mm-hmm. position, you know, a company's hiring right. for that spot, you're not getting the job. So, so a handful of probably 20 to 25 of us from East St. Paul ended up with that group. So we didn't know it. We met them for the first time at Camp Shelby during our train up. And so that's when then to break the ice was we had a group of people from East St. Paul. We all knew each other for many years. And mm-hmm. then the other guys, the farmers, yeah. and the groups didn't really talk. So then yeah. that's when I, I put on my gas mask and nothing else and ran through the barracks <laughs> and told them that there was a gas attack. <laughs> and they were like, oh, my God. After that, everyone talked to each other, and it was on the way then to becoming. It ended up as strange because – at first, and when no one was talking to each other, it was just like, I miss, I miss my old guys. I miss that whole unit because we just, yeah. we were, it was awesome. But then I realized after once we got to Iraq, this was like just by accident. It ended up being the best unit I've ever served in. You've got guys that were fun to hang out with and and easy to get along with that were so laid back, but at the same time, so absolutely lethal when they had to be really? and effective in combat. So that was when we got stationed and we didn't know our mission for so long. We had heard we're going to be escorting fuel tankers, which that is not fun. You're just, you're driving all day, basically waiting to get blown up or waiting to have RPG shot at you. Yeah. And then they said, no, it's not going to be that. It's going to be this. Well, then they ended up giving us force protection as a mission on a Marine Corps base. We were, our company of a hundred men was given to the Marine Corps and they said, do with them what you want. And so they said, we're going to have them guard the base and sit in towers. That sounded awful. And we'd search every vehicle coming in that wasn't military. Like supplies. And that was, was that in Red Wing? Is that Nope. Nope. This, this that was at Fallujah. Was different. I'm yep. sorry. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Uh, the Red Wing thing was when the Iraq war started in, oh, that was before Kosovo. They activated okay. us to guard the nuclear power plant down there in Red Wing. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So with Fallujah, though, when we're there, then the the Marine Colonel, Colonel Bristol, realized like the base kept getting mortared where they launched mortars from a distance or rockets yeah, and, and attacked the right. base. And that they basically figured out if we go on patrols and really bring the fight to the enemy and push them back, they won't be able to reach the base with those mortars and, and rockets, which is there's 19,000 people on Camp Fallujah at that time. So they, they changed the mission force. They pulled us out of the towers, and they said, go get them. And so we then started 
pushing the enemy back. And that was the, the summer of 2006 into the fall. Our mission changed a ton. And the danger increased exponentially because... Now we were. You guys are consistently yes. walking into the fire, and, essentially. Yes, and we're pushing them back. Well, they uh-huh. didn't like that, and so they're pushing us back, and that's when more and more IEDs, more and more, um, where they're attacking our our pump houses, our forward bases, and that's when okay. you know you get this feeling where we're going out, but we were we continue to get so lucky. Our squad, I mean. I remember reading yeah, that, yeah. Every every squad, in, and they added 50 Marines to our unit, so we became mixed. So we ended up being a total of 150 people blended with Marines. And they, um, we were one of only three squads out of about 10 to 15 squads, I think about 15 squads, that did not hit an IED. So we wow. were just, it was one of those where you're just waiting for it to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, to an extent, because you don't want to be doom and gloom. You don't want to be moping around. You got to stay right. on your game, mm-hmm. but still, you just kind of expect it to happen at some point. Yeah. So, I thought an interesting part. Uh, there was one point where you came face to face with what you thought was an IED, yes. but it didn't detonate. Like you walked up to it, and you're like, "Uh oh, I'm about to die." Yes. And then you had to sneak back and retreat, and then, like. Take us through that story quick, because I thought that was really interesting. So I was always lead vehicle. So I was okay. I was I was always good with map and navigation. So I was lead vehicle. Now, so that's an important job, but also scary because you you're going to be the one that hits an IED if, if it mm-hmm. happens. So we yeah. were we were going out. We're escorting some engineers to go and check out. There was like a, a water treatment spot, and it wasn't like a big plant or anything. But we had to escort them out to check it out. And then we had to escort them back because they, they're not equipped to really go out there on their own. If shit hit the fan, they would have been toast. So that's why we had a lot of missions like that where we would bring people that weren't really equipped to get in a big battle. We would escort them to a place in case it happened. Um, okay. And the enemy sees that too. And they they would rather mess with them instead of us. So they see that. And then a lot of times they won't mess with you um, until your guard's down if it co- goes down. But we had rounded this corner and to the right uh, or up ahead, we saw something in the road. So I told the driver to stop and then you always dismount the vehicle. You look out your window to make sure nothing's there. And then you get out and search around the vehicle to look for wires. Just make sure because it's tough to see from the vehicle. Well, I got out and I said something to the gunner like, all right, watch over here. And I looked down, and somehow when I was in the vehicle and looked out the window, I didn't see, and there was a mortar buried, like, aimed up. So that split second, I was like, that's it, I'm dead. Mm -hmm. Nothing happened. So I was, like, yelling, get the fucking trucks back now, like, yelling, back up, back up, running, waving for them to go back. Well, they backed up. We called the explosive ordinance team, uh, disposal team, out. Took them a, you know, it usually takes three to four hours till they come out. Is they're dealing with all the other ones that were called in first, so they then pull up there. They use robotics to to go check it out with the camera. They said it was a good call in, but it's not a live one. They said that likely what they were doing was they set that up and they're videotaping or watching from a distance to see how we would react. So then they oh, know they know. How far we we stop when we see one? Usually about a hundred yards back. Well, then what they start doing is they put something up there 
and then they put one a hundred yards back. So when you stop, you're basically on it. So uh, so it, it, it's it, it's a cat and mouse game. So then you got to right. change your tactics because now they know. So they used, but they they put C four on it and blew it up just in case. Um, and it was that asshole puckered up pretty tight. That I was day. gonna say, you know, there was an interesting quote in the book. It's something along the lines of, "You're never more alive than after when you thought you." just died yes. like you almost died yes right? your heart is like you hear your pulse and you're not afraid until after because you don't have time your training kicks right. in and you gotta and I, I've, I've got guys depending on me so i can't sit and pause and be free i gotta even if you're a little nervous you gotta pretend you're not and you gotta give them confidence and tell them what needs to happen and and then they do it but after the fact when you're sitting there yeah, you're you're quivering a bit because you're like, I, that was almost it. I wouldn't have known. I mean, that would have been that split second. That would have been all she wrote. Yeah, my heart's racing a little bit as we speak here, just yeah, talking about there. it. Um, okay, so I believe it was December second, two thousand six, yep. right? Which what started out as from what I was reading in the book starts out as a good day, a pretty pretty good day by Iraq standards, and then it just ends up basically changing your life forever can you take us through that day yes absolutely so we in the middle of the night we're going to um to watch this intersection that they've been placing ieds in frequently so it was an intersection that was the only way to get down to where the enemy activity was at the most all right and so they knew that it was the only way to get there, so they would put bombs there frequently. So we figured out, okay, we're going to go out there in the middle of the night. We're going to hide in a ditch. And this isn't – everyone would probably picture this area as just being big open desert. That's what I pictured before I went. But it was very much like central Minnesota, but with palm trees. It was farms as far as the eye could see. It was gorgeous there, okay, because it's between it, – it's the Euphrates River's right there. There's irrigation canals everywhere so they can grow crops. So we went out to hide in this ditch and watch this intersection and wait for the individual or individuals responsible for burying those, waiting for them to show up. And if they showed up, okay. we we're going to plug them. Well, they never they never showed up, and we got spotted by a goat farmer. And so we had to break contact just in case that farmer's cooperating with the enemy out of fear, out of getting paid or whatever they do. They could say there's four guys in this ditch they have these weapons here's their exact location we could be ambushed then so when you're spotted you got to break contact so we went back to the uh, pump house flanders which is one of our two forward operating bases we ate chow we took a nap so we we're just chilling it was a just yeah. relaxing our yeah. lieutenant was up on the roof watching for suspicious activity and he spotted some to the south so he came and he woke us up and he said he needed five volunteers and at this time there's probably 12 to 14 of us there so five of us said yes there's room for five in that humvee we said we will go so we're mixed up compared to our normal configuration in the vehicle because this was volunteers so it was me tim nelson uh brian mcdonough Corey ristad and bruce miller is a marine he was with us so normally I'm the lead vehicle, and I'm the vehicle commander. Tim Nelson's the squad leader. He's the second vehicle. But I said, I'm, I'm, commanding, the vehicle, I'm commanding the patrol on this one. And Tim, Tim's my best friend. He's like, no, 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 no. That's my fucking job. You know? Yeah. Don't de demote me. And I said, no, no, I want to do it, though. It's, I got it. 
I'm a, I'm a team leader. So I'm, yeah. And so he's like, all right, fine. So he was in the seat behind me. I was right front seat. Brian McDonough's driving. Corey Ristead's in the seat behind him. So those are the four seats. And then the gunner sticks out of the top in the, in the turret. He's got the 50 caliber machine gun. So we're the second yeah. vehicle because ahead of us is a Bradley fighting vehicle with three guys in it. That's, that's, 30, that's right. 32 yeah, you tons guys of are the second vehicle. Yes. And that thing's yeah. armored like crazy. It's 32 tons of arm, of uh, of tank. The first one. Yes. And that's, that right. is a 25-millimeter main gun. That can handle an IED more than a Humvee can. Even though this was a this Humvee was only a few weeks old, it was brand new. Like when we got it a few weeks back, we tore the plastic off the seats. Like it was brand, brand new. Wow. Okay. So... Um, so we're headed down. We checked this out, the area out, and I didn't put this in the book, but it ended up being we're certain of it. It was a whorehouse, really? and really? so yes, because the gals were super pretty and they had their faces not covered, and so that was a little different. So and Tim's convinced yeah. of it. Brian was convinced. So, but we searched it. It looked super suspicious. Well, I mean, considering that, but they weren't up to any. Like, that's none of our business. We don't give a shit. As long as you're not mm-hmm. attacking coalition forces, you're not trying to hinder the mission in Iraq, we don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so we searched everybody and everything in the area, ended up being nothing. So we we're like, all right, cool, let's head out. Well, when we're walking back to the vehicle, our gunner, you always leave the gunner in the vehicle to watch your back when you're searching people and you're dismounted. So if someone's creeping up to do something, they can plug them he quick can, or whatever. Yeah. Um, right. So he said they just got a call from headquarters saying that the drone flying above us spotted someone digging in the road at checkpoint three four, which was about two miles from us. We knew that they weren't planting flowers, so we were pretty sure they were putting a bomb in the road. So we went to go check it out. That so that Bradley again was to the front. We're the second vehicle, and we're trying to get there with a purpose, but not too fast because then in the road. You, they didn't have like early in the war where there would be something set up and there's someone watching and they push a button to blow you up. That's rare at this time because they know if we see them goofing around, we can shoot them and they know that. So they set it up. So if you drive over it, it's a victim operated IED. It's a pressure plate. So you got to look in the road at all times. So you don't want to drive too fast. So we're going okay, at a yep. decent clip, but where we could still see the road. <clears throat> and we're on our way. And I remember calling in checkpoint 3-1, checkpoint 3-2. And as we called in checkpoint 3-3, now that Bradley was a little ways ahead of us, it had already rounded the corner. So picture a 90-degree turn, left turn, okay? Yep. As we rounded that, our left front tire triggered a pressure plate. So I heard this metallic, just this plink. Like if you threw a rock into a 55-gallon drum. Uh-huh. And I heard this loud whooshing sound, and that's all I remember for about... So I got thrown from the vehicle. I, I didn't remember that. I didn't remember hitting the ground. So I remember waking up on the ground, but it was so soon after that I heard the rocks still falling because it was, it was a dirt road. So it sounded like a hailstorm, just rocks falling so you hit and then other rocks were starting so to fall on top of because you, from what you remember because the 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 bomb blast blew up the road and our vehicle yeah. so that stuff was still raining down wow. and so i woke i i hadn't yet opened my eyes so i heard the rocks falling i heard tim yelling what's going on where's brian what the fuck happened um so 
I didn't want to believe what had just happened, but I joke about it because I, I've been a Vikings fan my whole life, so I'm always re- ready for the worst case scenario. <laughs> and so, so I knew, and I felt myself in a twisted, contorted position. So I knew I had been hurt. I didn't know how severe. So I opened my eyes. I looked down. I saw that my left leg just above the knee was connected maybe by a piece of skin, but probably my just my pant leg was holding it together. So it was like picture a baked potato, but with the femur cracked and sticking out of it. Um, mm. My And then I didn't look, I didn't pay close attention to below that, but it, it was broken and bones were sticking out of the other parts too. It was destroyed. My right leg just below the knee looked like I had stuck it in a wood chipper and it was bleeding so badly that I could hear it hitting the sand. <clears throat> oh my god! My left arm, both bones in the in the left arm were, were broken, so that was hanging, but the bones were not sticking out. So seeing this, seeing my injuries, I was I was one hundred percent sure that I was going to die. Yeah. Um. I I try to stay calm. The human body does that for us. So I felt calm. Uh, I didn't feel any pain at that point. I felt kind of warm and itchy. As dumb as it sounds, normally you feel cold, and I get to that point not too yeah. long after. But I felt, like, itchy. And so uh, we didn't have a medic with us because with the high probability of us encountering the enemy, we wanted to have an extra rifleman with us. Like, you want to make sure everyone brought with is able to right. deal it out if you have to. Thankfully, we all go through combat lightsaber training, That that, uh, and I'm thankful my friends paid attention in that class. So they were in that vehicle ahead of us, that Bradley fighting vehicle. They were about 100 to 125 yards ahead of us when we hit the bomb. So they thought they hit it. It was so large. It was 200 pounds of homemade explosives packed into propane tanks. And it was designed to blow up the original, the first tanker, right, which was bigger. Because that... Yours was smaller. Ours is about a 14,000-pound vehicle. That one's 32 tons. Wow. And so... They and that Bradley fighting vehicle was really what was turning the tide of this of our presence in that area because it had thermal cameras, it had a long range, so at night it could just be hanging out and they'd be fucking around in the road thinking that they're scot free and that thing would plug them from a distance. So they didn't like mm-hmm. those things, they wanted to blow those up. Yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, it de- absolutely decimated our vehicle that vehicle was yeah. flipped over it was facing the wrong direction it did not look like a humvee um wow so those dudes came rushing back to our location uh the first guy that came out was adam seed he he was the driver so they came rushing back he comes out he's i hear as they pull up he's arguing on the radio with our headquarters so they wanted to send a ground ambulance i think he misunderstood they said we're sending a ground yeah. ambulance regardless but also a medevac helicopter. Because he goes, if you don't send a fucking helicopter, they're going to fucking die. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, this is not good. And you say that in your book. Yep. Too. That's that's in the book. So yeah. he came over to me. And I don't remember talking to him. He told me later that I was wiggling my kneecap on my left side. And I go, well, I'm in a tough fucking spot. <laughs> Still cracking yeah. jokes. And he, um, <laughs> then he... He was like, all right, whatever. He, he was like, be right back. He went in there. But the guys that started working, so the guys that were in that turret came out to really do the first aid. He came out to help move a couple things around. And then he had to go back in there because he was relaying information to the medevac helicopter as they were, because they basically, you have to quick say, 
all right, here's our grid location. We've got five seriously injured. One of them is urgent sur surgical. And there was actually, I think, two or three that were urgent surgical. That helicopter then grabs everything, gets in the air and says, okay, relay information as you get it so they know more. But they got to get on the way. So, so then my buddy, first guy that comes up, my buddy Adam Gallant, he's from far northwest Minnesota. He comes up to me and he's just a straight shooter. He looks at me, he goes, I'm not going to lie to you, dude. Your legs are really fucking bad right now, okay? And I'm like, yeah, no shit. You know, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, they're basically not there. But he told me, he said, you're going to be fine. We're going to get you out of here. So he put a tourniquet on my right side. And feel free to interrupt me, guys, if, if you have a question. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. Um, he put a tourniquet on my right leg, which was the one that was bleeding the most. He tightened that down. He said, I'll be right back. I need to check on the others. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm obviously not going anywhere. I'll be right here. <laughs> so then uh, he's working on my buddy, to, uh, a buddy to my left, and I did not look over there. So uh, Todd then comes over. My buddy Todd Everson, who's one of my closest buddies, he lives down in Oakdale now. Was just golfing with him yesterday. Nice. He's like the total opposite of Adam. He looks at me and he goes, "Hey, buddy, you look great." He's like <laughs> just, trying to keep yeah. me calm. I'm like, right. okay, yeah, bullshit, right? <laughs> so he's, he's like, uh, he puts a tourniquet on my left leg. He's tightening it. It slides back down. He slides it back up, tightens it. It slides down again. He finally gets it to hold. And then he's like, all right, I'll be right back. So, okay, fine. So they're dealing with the others. And I, I heard gurgling to my left. So I knew my friend over there was in really tough shape. And I made the decision, like, I don't want to look over there and see one of my friends either dead or close to dying. That's not yeah. going to keep me calm. I need to keep my heart rate down. I've already lost a fucking ton of blood. So uh, they're over there dealing with that. And I'm sitting there. And then Adam comes back over. And he goes, we got to move you, dude. This is going to suck really bad. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't think it could get much worse. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> so they flipped my legs up onto my chest. And I've never been a flexible dude, so that was a sight to see. So I was like, holy fuck. And they, that was when I really, I knew I was in tough shape, but that, when they do that, that was the really, like, reality was setting in. Yeah. Because the whole time, like, you're in shock, so you're still, there's a surrealness to it, even though it's very real, if that makes sense. And they lifted me up, and then I, I felt pain then because my pelvis had been broken. Both wings of my pelvis had been broken forward. So those were moving around. So I let out a big yell because that really hurt. They moved me away from the vehicle because they had to tip it off of Corey is who they're working on because it was on top of him. And if, okay. if he were to survive, they needed to get that vehicle off him. So they're going to do that. But then they're they're And I didn't hear any of this. This is more after the fact. They were then debating, like, is the vehicle what's keeping him alive? Like, is that what's holding everything right, together? Holding in the okay. Um, so they were having to have that debate. Just an awful spot for these dudes to be in. And it's just a lose-lose. Yeah. So then they realized they got to keep me talking, but they got other shit they got to do too because I start I was fading. And okay. so they're running by like Adam would run by and slap me in the face. He's like, stay awake. I'm like, all right, fine, fine, fine. He's dealing with other stuff. He's like, hey, stay awake. I'm like, all right, all right, fine. <laughs> hits me again i'm like god damn it that fucking that last one was like a punch to the face i don't think they opened their hand and they're he's like i fucking said stay awake and i'm like all right jesus 
Like I survived this bomb blast, and my friends are beating the piss out of me. All right. Um, so then uh, they come up with a brilliant idea. Now the guy, I, I honestly, you would have thought the guy sticking out of the vehicle when we hit this bomb would have been eviscerated, but he was running around just yelling like, "What the fuck's going on? What's going?" He had a head injury. Um, yeah, concussion. Yeah. Yep. And so, and he is goofy as shit to begin with. And so, I'd always joke. I say in my motivational speech too. I I talk about how we would joke that he because he was from Idaho. That if we go visit him there and we pull one of the potatoes out of the ground, it had a higher IQ than him because he's just a goofy <laughs> guy. And so, they told him they said keep Creasel talking. So he sat down next to me and he's asking me the same questions over. Where are you? Yeah. yeah. Where are you from? Cottage Grove, Minnesota. What's your favorite? What's your favorite sports team? Minnesota Vikings. And then he goes, "Fuck it. He needs let him die. He'll be better off." No. Um, and then, and then, you know, what's your favorite color? Blue. All right, all right. And then he'd ask the same question. So then I'm yelling at the guys, going, "Get him the fuck away from me. Tell him to shut up." And he's like, "Negative. I need to know." So he's doing his job, keeping me alert. Well, then the helicopter's flying in. I Before that, I grabbed Adam with my good arm, and I said, tell my family I love them. And like a good friend, he was like, nope, you're going to tell them yourself, so shut up. You're going to be fine. So the helicopter came in, landed, um, and then at the same time, ground ambulance pulls up, and one of our medics, who is this young dude, he clearly hadn't seen anything like, like this before, because he comes running over to me, and he's like, hey, Sergeant Creasel, and then he's like, oh, whoa. Oh, oh, yeah, and I'm no. like, show us some fucking faith, dude. Like, they're right. supposed to reassure you, like Todd. Todd's like, man, you look great. That shrapnel fixed your right. face. You know, like... Um, <laughs> So he's like, I'm going to give you morphine. I'm like, whatever. At this point, it didn't matter. So they load me on the backboard, put me on the helicopter. Helicopter took off. I remember the nurse on there being like, what is your what is your social security number? And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm going to die. And they want to open up a credit card or something. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, and then that is the last thing. I couldn't get the first number of it out. I was exhausted. And that's the last thing I remember till I woke up eight days later. At Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. So, Chris, how close? Talk about how close you were to, to dying. Well, actually, I think it said in the book that you died three times, three times on the yep. table. And I didn't know that until. Right. But I'm saying not not making it. Yeah. Period, you know? And they so that was going to be it. But thankfully, like all this, I got so people would probably think I got tremendously unlucky, but that's not true. Um my company commander was, so our camp was Camp Fallujah, but our battalion headquarters was at Al Takatam Air Base, which is where this field hospital was. It was one of the main trauma centers for the western part of Iraq. So they were, the, they were equipped to deal with this, kind of. So he was there doing a class on something. They called him and said, you've got some of your guys flying in right now. They hit a big one. So he was at the hospital when I got brought in. He told me basically one of my legs like fell off of me and he put it back on my chest. And then he watched as they were performing life-saving surgery. I died. They shocked me back to life. I died again. They shocked me back to life. So three times. And they were able to Crazy. stabilize me for the flight to, uh, to Balad. So then they, they flew me to Balad Air Base, which is north of Baghdad stabilized me there for the flight to Germany. And then uh, when I was in Germany, 
my situation deteriorated. They didn't think I was going to make it. So essentially, my family was flying over there to say goodbye. Um, wow. Oh, and crazy. and they they somehow so I missed three flights back to the United States because I wasn't stable enough. And they said nobody okay. misses four flights and survives. So thankfully I made that fourth one. And they said if he gets back to the United States, his chances of survival skyrocket. So they want they had to get me back there, and they did. So I woke up at Walter Reed. I was eight days after the blast in the ICU. Wow. I woke up, and it was the most fucked up thing ever because I'm just like, I knew I'm thankful that I was awake after the bomb went off because I know how close I was to dying instead of, I think had I just been knocked out after the bomb blast and then woke up at Walter Reed without having seen any of the in between, I, I might've mm-hmm. been a, a little more bitter. Cause all of a sudden like what happened? Where am I like, and there was a lot of people I was in the hospital with that. That's what happened. But me, I know that I was so close to dying that when I woke up, I was just jacked to be alive. I was so really? thankful to be alive that it didn't that I, I was able to look and say, you know what, I know my legs are gone. I know I'm gonna be in this hospital for a very long time. Um, but but at least I get to still But I'm, I'm here I'm still on this planet. And so and I yeah. learned at that point two of my best friends had died in the blast. Corey and Brian had been killed. That's right. Yeah, they said that in the book where you, yeah, you were crying. Yeah, that was tough, that was right? awful. There was no, like it had seemed like just five minutes before we were dry, we were on a mission that we volunteered to be on, doing a job that we loved, and we always had so much fun together. We we would have laughs, and we were we were very good at our job. And mm-hmm. part of that is because we knew how to be a little bit loose about it. Like the job itself yeah. was so serious that you had to have an awful sense of humor otherwise you're gonna go nuts <laughs> yeah. and yeah. so uh, it, it was very surreal yeah that's nuts, yeah, that's nuts. um so let's see summarize if you can like a few of the injuries that you have we already talked about but like i guess kind of like the daunting road ahead once you once you kind of started to figure things yeah, out so i lost my left leg above the knee my right leg just below the knee i had uh the fracture of my left arm i had the shattered sacrum and broken pelvis so basically the your hips that's the iliac wings those were broken forward and then where you're sitting on that's your sacrum where your tailbone is and all that that was basically like a a a coffee mug thrown to the ground like shattered so they had to put that back together um i had uh i lost a portion of my colon because the shrapnel went into my intestines. the um, I had multiple other things. So I had, when it was all said and done, I had 35 surgeries. 35. 35 so, Unbelievable. Um, and then, yeah, it was. It, it took a while for to, to learn how to use the prosthetics, but there is no better place in the world for that than Walter Reed. They were so awesome. They were so well-equipped. You're surrounded by people going through similar um situations so you you have that common bond you know similar like basic training or football team or whatever that you'd be able to if you're having a tough day you look to your to the guy to your right and he's he's kicking ass and then you're inspired to kick ass you go you know what yeah he's missing an arm and a leg at least i have both my arms so i i i've got to kick some ass today and and you just learn how to how to deal with that and that if you want to get out of the hospital 
the only way is to kick ass at physical therapy. That is your ticket out of there. And so it was, it was a lot of work, a lot of work. Yeah, but I suppose you got, you got a good way of looking at it, stuff, man. You really do. I mean, that shines in your book, but even now, it's you're always finding the positive, and I gotta think that's a lot of the reason you're so successful. I appreciate today. it, brother. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, so a couple of the highlights, I guess, during the rehab, uh, cool part in the book was the president um, came through and issued the the purple heart in your hospital room. How sweet was that? It was that? so awesome. He was the nicest guy. He seemed so normal but but it's the president of the united states so it's nuts and i didn't think when i woke up from the coma and and the nurses would be like is there anything i can do for you i'm thinking anything like 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 the genie the genie is right in front of me i get three wishes so it's like i want to meet the president and they thought i was pissed at the president because there's people that were. They blame the president for their suppose, legs getting yeah. blown off, uh-huh. which is stupid, but I guess whatever make, makes you makes you happy. Um, I know he didn't put the bomb in the road near Fallujah, so I'm, I'm good. Um, but when Governor Pawlenty called to just see how I was doing and say thank you for serve, all that stuff, I told him, I was like, I want to meet the president. He's like, all right, well... Is the care you're getting good? Like, are they taking care of you at the hospital? Uh, yeah. If they're not, let me know. And then he just started calling every couple of days just to shoot the shit. Just the governor of Minnesota. Just awesome. I yeah, love cool. him. He's Very such cool. a good guy. Checking in. But, but I yeah. kept it up. And then he got it lined up. It was He had made a call to the White House and was like, when you go there for your normal visit, there's a guy that really wants to meet you. And So no one told me. They wheeled me into a room. When I saw Secret Service like putting their head in the room and yeah, scout, yeah, scout yeah, in the then area, I'm like, right? okay, and I was ripped on medication, so <laughs> most people would have probably hours before been like, eh, I think I think this is probably a presidential visit, but yeah, once he he walked in the room and he pinned on that purple heart, um, it was an such honor. an honor, My and God. I couldn't. Like I had to lay flat because they had done the back surgery, so I had to lay flat for 12 weeks. And so I could kind of like prop my head up a tiny bit. Yeah. Because yeah. it was just one of those, like, you want to salute, but my arms were all fucked up. It was just one of those. You were super oh, excited and want to be like. Right. Yeah. But I was in the hurt locker pretty bad. This was only, yeah, like 20, yeah. maybe 20 days after the blast. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Um, so, kind of along those same lines, you met a ton of celebrities that came to visit the mm-hmm. hospital and, and visited you, and um, who were some of the ones that stood out Justin for you? Justin Timberlake was the coolest one. JT. Yep. He yeah. was like, he came in the room, he was like, hi, I'm Justin. I'm <laughs> like, well, no shit. Um, <laughs> and this is, I mean, he's a huge name now, but this is like peak. This is, That's no, this name, is right? sexy back. This is... This is oh, where yeah. he went single. Yeah, this yeah, is where what's, I, the way that I kept up on music back home was MySpace. You know, everyone's MySpace page had some sure. different hot cut as the as the the background. <laughs> and hot and hot. Uh, he yeah, he was so he was terrifyingly normal. We talked about everything wow. but like my injuries and we just were shooting the shit and then it's basically like well, he was in town for a concert at the Verizon Center. So it was, we could have had the VIP backstage, the whole deal. But I could go out of the hospital at that point. I forget when that was. That might have been January, February. Uh, 
but I could only go out for a little bit, maybe like out to eat and then had to be back for some of the medications I was on. And it was scary as shit to go out and about just trapped in a wheelchair. It was before I had prosthetics really. So that was the coolest one. I met uh, Doug from The Hangover, and The Hangover hadn't occurred yet, but it was because National Treasure was a thing. Um, uh, Jeff Daniels from Dumb and Dumber, Gary Sinise. Nice. When politician Chris Carter. Yep, I Chris saw. Carter, uh, Chris Collinsworth, uh, Bob Costas. Um, who else? Ron White was awesome. Oh, super yes. funny. Uh, and then uh, who? Uh, there was so it was basically like every day, just a, a whirlwind. whirlwind. Huh? Oh, um, Roy Halliday, Roy Halliday from. Uh, oh yeah. Yep. And I think I forget what team he was on at that time. Toronto, Toronto he, yes. probably. Yeah. And so he, he I met him. Met uh, Dungey, who was the running back at that time. A die, Joseph. A die. He had a real nice watch, yes. I think, or something, right? Yes. It, yeah. it was it was nuts, all the stuff that and had I not like if a if a guy was single, and I wasn't at that time, um the the um if you're a single soldier and you were like maybe missing one leg below the knee or something, that could have been the jam. And it was there were people that camped <laughs> out there for a couple of years because Oh, you want to go to this? You, if you want to go on a ski trip to Vail, no big deal. Cool, it's covered. If you want to go, um, you want to go on a fishing trip, on a deep sea fishing trip, done. If you want to go do this, done. If you want to go, it's <laughs> what, like anything you wanted, and and deservedly so. Yeah, and there were gals that rolled through there all the time. That, I mean, the the least attractive Smoke one is probably what? a ten. I mean, and it was. They, there was a guy that there would be mentors too that had lost limbs and there was a guy I remember that pulled me aside um, and he was like listen there's going to be a lot of gals that come through here that are visitors that they're devotees their their fetish is amputees and I was like what? I was Holy like Lord. if you could pick any fetish that's not it um, <laughs> and so he told me and I was like man if if I knew basically that I was the only one in my marriage not getting the got not getting the boots thrown to me like <laughs> you know like at that time I was <laughs> I was I was in an open marriage but no one told me if someone if someone had told me oh my god help. yes I would have yeah that nurse button would have gotten mashed <laughs> yeah no it was it was interesting, uh, interesting time. But yeah, it was it was cool. It was a surreal experience, and it did make the transition back here odd too. Because you, when you're there, you you're one of other like there's plenty of amputees around. The weird ones in that hospital are the ones that have all four limbs, and so you get back to Minnesota, and the show must go on. Like everything here right. is normal. And so you, you got to catch up to speed. Like society isn't going to slow down for you. You got to speed up so you can be on the same level as the rest of society. Yeah. So and Christ did you? It, it, it took a bit, man. It was it was tough. Yeah. So so you get back to Minnesota. Um, I thought it was cool. You did a bunch of interviews and public appearances and stuff. Like, what stands out about that time for you? Um, 
And then one thing I wanted to ask you too: Did you throw a strike? I didn't. Game? No, no, it was more of you a did. slider, not on purpose. And it's got to be <laughs> tough with new legs. Yeah, guard guardy could have. You know, I I told him after the fact. I ran into him at a golf tournament. I was like, he could have given a little more of an effort there. You know, it, it was. Yeah, it, it, it was, He didn't. He didn't go. He just kind of reached out. You got to block that one. You got to slide out. <laughs> and yeah, so no, that that was cool doing that. Um, and the, the media interviews that was nuts too, because it was. I still to this day sometimes I'm like. Did that have? Did I really g- get blown up? And all that shit happened to me. So I wanted to share it with people because I figure if other people can learn what I did without them having to go through it, yeah. then that's a yeah. bonus. I mean, I get to every morning I wake up, I'm reminded of what happened when I put my pants on my legs and then I put my legs on just like everyone else does, right? I'm reminded of that day, and I'm so glad because nothing's promised to us. That each day is a gift. Like each day, I get to see my baby daughter. Um, Each day, I get to go to work. Each day, I get to see a sunset. We take so much for granted, and so I wanted. I just had so many things to say that I wanted to share that with so many people. And uh, thankfully, that's kind of that got to continue. That's when I started at KFAN. I got to pop on there, and I met Chris Hockey, and I met the morning show, and we just hit yeah. it off. And then those are some of my closest friends now, and I've been on there for almost 13 years now. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, and make no mistake, you're on there. Cause I appreciate good. that. That means a lot. Because at oh, first it wasn't sure. that way. And when I hear early on, I thank God that they that they hung in there with me just because it was, it was a mess. I didn't know what direction I was. But I was still trying to figure my shit out. I didn't really, I'm lucky enough to not really, I'll rephrase it. The only PTSD I have is from the Vikings and fucking Blair Walsh and Brett Favre across the body and all that. I, the Walter Reed was so good to me that I don't have any of that. I don't. And so, um, but there's still finding purpose coming back going, I worked in an ink factory. That was my job. All of a sudden. I'm doing media interviews. I'm trying, and, and what am I going to do for a career? And, and so, mm-hmm. was it going to be radio? And, and and it is kind of. It helps promote the book and my speeches, but it helped me kind of find direction. And more importantly, it gave me purpose. It gave me meaning. And so that 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 was a KFA, and I've told those guys that is a big reason why my life is is how I feel. I feel like my life is pretty awesome. I could have never dreamt of having the life I do. And a lot of that's because of those guys and the chance that they took on me. And uh, and I'm forever grateful to them. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you, you've earned I appreciate all of that. And, and again, check out this book. It is incredible. Still Standing by John Creasel. But one of the best books I've ever read. I think it'll be one of the best you have. So please check Thank this you. book out. Yeah, and then Creese, um Let's talk about your, your speaking, or go ahead and, and plug that yourself. Sure. So um, I have been blessed to have had the opportunity to share my story with um, hundreds of organizations throughout Minnesota, the United States. Uh, I even had one in Maui, which that was amazing. Um, wow, that's unbelievable. It, and it, it is uh, it is one of my favorite things to do. And like I said, you know, with the media stuff, getting to, to teach people the things that I learned without them having to go through it, then I feel like I'm 
I, I feel like what I what I lost, what I sacrificed was worth it. And I would do it again. But when I get to share my story and it impacts other people's lives in a positive way, that makes it even even more worth it. And and so, um, yes, johnmcreasel.com is my website where people can book me. Um, I'm getting set up to do them virtually as well, but I've got a few coming up here. I got one in Las Vegas, one in Fort Lauderdale. So those are starting to come back post-COVID. But uh, I absolutely freaking love doing that. I get to meet so many awesome people here. I get to hear other people's awesome stories. And it, it just, I've been so fortunate. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Acclaimed man. reviews too. If you check out any of the reviews, man, they're resounding. I appreciate great. it. Yeah. So, yeah, man, we appreciate you. Well, Chris, man, that's a great spot to end. Um, you know, just really appreciate it. You know, I, I admire you your bet. story and uh, it's just awesome that you're able to join and, and share it. We'll... All right, guys, that wraps it up. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it and took something out of it. I don't know, you know, that guy inspires me, man. You know, after that, what he's been through and what he's done post-accident is just awesome. He continues to serve, give back, tell a story. And I hope you guys, you know, hope you guys were inspired by it as well. So uh, just want to close by thanking our sponsors, the JP4 Foundation. Check them out at jp4foundation.org. I'm super happy to be working with and just proud to be working with a great organization like those guys who, who give back to the community. And also, I want to thank Keller Golf Course. Keller donated a round to John Creasel, our guest, a round of four. So, Crease, hope you enjoy that, man. And I hope you can break 100. I know that that's your goal. So, good luck with that. Hey, check out Keller at 651-766-4170 to book a tee time. And, hey... Thank you guys for listening. And until next time, learn, try, know, and achieve. Huh, babe?